Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Thanks for joining us. The Bible says that God highly exalted Jesus Christ and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the mention of his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, there is no question that King Jesus will reign and all will submit to his rule. The question is, where are you going to be during his kingdom? We know from the Bible that all believers are co-heirs with Christ if, and that's conditional, we are faithful as he was faithful. So when the kingdom comes, will you be beside Christ Jesus, ruling and reigning with him? Will you be royalty or just a simple subject? Or worse yet, will you be outside the kingdom looking in and outcast who traded your inheritance for the fleeting pleasures of the flesh. Stay tuned and we'll help you see a clear path to the throne room. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. That was John 14, verses 15, 21, and 23. Before attempting to interpret Scripture, we always use the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym we created to remind Bible students to consider the speaker, SP, the audience, A, and the context, C, before attempting an explanation, E. Let's use the SPACE method on today's scripture reading, Andy. Okay, so here we see that the speaker is God. Specifically, it's God the Son. Now, we only have to back up a few verses to see this when Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. And then after that, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Yeah, so clearly he is stating his deity. So again, the speaker is God himself in the form of the Son. As for the audience, it's the disciples, that is, those chosen by Jesus Christ personally, and given the epinosis or higher knowledge of God. In the Gospel of Matthew and also Luke, Jesus tells his disciples, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 13:11. So when we read what he said to them, we should be aware that this will be deeper truths about his millennial kingdom, also known as the kingdom of heaven. That also means that only those who have the epinosis will be able to understand the true meaning of his words. Of course, 
We can all understand it. We all have gnosis. But you need epinosis to get that deeper truth, Andy. Amen. And you know, many believers um, have become dull of hearing, as the Bible says, as it says in Hebrews. Um, So you, you need really to have those spiritual ears to hear what Jesus Christ is going to be saying today. We see the Last Supper in Matthew chapter 13, and we see the betrayal of Jesus by Judas in chapter 18. And in between that, we have these five chapters covering what Jesus did and said to his disciples before he finished his work on the cross. Now, this context is important because this was Jesus's last chance to instruct his disciples. These were the men who would establish his church. So his words here are especially meaningful. Okay, so now we know the speaker, audience, and context of our scripture reading. We're ready to attempt an explanation. Today, we aim to answer a critical question. And this question arises once you understand and accept that you will be judged and you must qualify to enter the kingdom of heaven. Of course, judgment implies that you can also fail and be disqualified. As the Apostle Paul himself put it, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, that's paid back, for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And that's 2 Corinthians 5.10. Okay, Jonah, so, you know, some questions might arise by our listeners, and obviously probably the one of the most common is, well, how do I qualify for the kingdom? Or what exactly am I supposed to do? Well, we see the answer is in today's scripture reading. It's right. pretty plain. We must keep the commandments of Jesus Christ. Also, we must love him, not with words or feelings, but by actually demonstrating our love through the keeping of his commandments. And that answer, however, does create a second question. Yeah, and that second question is, well, what exactly are his commandments, right? And, and I, I had this thought process as I spiritually matured. I understood that I was supposed to do good works, but I didn't, I didn't quite understand what those works were. I had a sort of a fuzzy sense. Of course, I, I've been in church since I was four years old, so it's been preached to me many times, but sort of getting into specifics, I, I started to wonder, well, what exactly, what exactly is the, the pathway to the kingdom? So I think, um, you know, the answer to that question, we've identified actually 12 commandments, which are found in the most famous sermon that Jesus Christ ever gave, the famous Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And, you know, during the rest of our time, I think we should quickly go through those 12 commandments, it j- just briefly touch on them so that our listeners, so that you, the listener, can, can understand what we've discovered, which is these 12 commandments. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially important, especially to everyone who's listening today, that has that calling, right? That, that gut feeling that, yeah, I, I've always known there's something more than just my salvation. Especially if you're like us, if you're a Calvinist, if you know, according to Scripture, that one cannot lose their salvation because we right. did nothing to earn it to begin with. But there's so much more, and Jesus gives us commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's look at number one, Jordan. Okay. And that one, I would say, would probably best go as saying, do not stay angry with others because anger is murder. And you could read that in Matthew 5, 21 to 26. And I'll quote a little part of it there. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into henna. Jordan, can you break that down for us a little? Yeah, I mean, just uh, the last part there, Gehenna, that's the place where garbage was burned outside of the holy city. And it's a metaphor for being cast out of the kingdom. So, you know, um, it's important, again, to, to note that, because some people use that verse to say, you'll be cast into the fiery hell, and they, they interpret that as the lake of fire. You know, uh, again, we talked about the Calvinist viewpoint. 
Um, we know we have assurance and we can't go to hell. How do we know it's not hell? Well, if you remember the space method, and again, consider who was his audience, he was speaking to his disciples, and he wouldn't have told his disciples they could be thrown into hell. Exactly. This wasn't just your typical believer who was following him. This, these were actually people that wanted to go the extra mile, that were called by God in their heart to become more intimate with Jesus. Right. So to get to your the answer to your question, what is this saying to those who have kingdom ears? It's saying, that angry, bitter people will not enter the kingdom. Not that they won't get into heaven, but they won't get into the kingdom. That, that place is not for those who are disqualified through anger and bitterness. And that's not to say, you know, just because you have anger, because we all, you know, obviously we're not perfect. No one's perfect. Right. So we're going to have times where we, we stumble, we get angry. It happens all the time. It's the world we live in. But it's the practicing of that anger and not calling yourself out and realizing that it's wrong. According to scripture, according to these verses specifically, it's not something that the Lord Jesus wants us to practice if we want to enter the kingdom. Right. So moving on to the second commandment, and again, you know, I call these commandments, we call these commandments because many of them are actually a uh, building on the Ten Commandments, but they are commandments of Jesus Christ, what he's telling us we must do to get into the kingdom. And the second one is, do not sexually desire anyone but your spouse. Lust is adultery. And that's Matthew 5, 27 to 32. To quote from that section, Everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into, and the word is Gehenna again. Okay, so again, another question, Jordan, that our listeners might have. What is the lesson here? Like, what are we supposed to pull from this? How do we apply that to our lives? Well, number one, it's that the kingdom is that important. It's that important to know. And if it's not important to you, which we pray it is, as you know, we try to use scripture to help open your spiritual eyes to see these things and what God has planned for us in the future, is it worth it? Living this way, thinking this way, you know, even coveting another woman in your heart, is it worth doing that to lose what God has prepared for us in the future? You know, so I think it's pretty clear that it is very important. And then another question is, why does God hate adultery so much? And I think if we really, to understand that, we, we need to look at the word adultery. And adultery is idolatry. It's putting something before God that would separate us from God or keep us from achieving what he has planned for us. So here he's trying to show us adultery are, is one of the things he hates, because if we practice adultery or if we commit adultery, obviously we're not worthy enough to be in his kingdom. Yeah, and there's something deeper there, too, with the relationship between adultery and idolatry. And that is, if you look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, he talks about how the husband-wife relationship is the relationship of Christ to the church. Very good. You know, so that representation, if you then carry that into the typological realm, you know, cheating on God is—idolatry is cheating on God, is what I'm yes. trying to say. So cheating on your wife is also ruining that typology of the relationship between God and, and man. So you, you're, you're uh, essentially cheating on God, is what I'm trying to say. If you commit idolatry, and in the same way, uh, adultery it, it has that same sense to it. Yeah, and to clarify again, it's the type that is what we're destroying, right? So like you, you made a great point. The marriage is a type in typology. It represents, that's why God made marriage. Right. Because it represents the relationship, the intimate relationship that we're supposed to have with Jesus Christ. And by us committing adultery, in a sense, we're ruining the type right. which God created for his own glory. Moving on to commandment three, do not swear oaths. Be a person of your word. That's Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Andy, do you want to comment on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think that one's pretty straightforward. Just, you know, be honest. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. 
In other words, don't say one thing normally in the flesh and then another under special circumstances in the spirit, right? right? So, like, for example, don't say, I swear to God or as God is my witness, because God is always your witness. I mean, he's always there. We can't avoid him, whether you're a believer or not. And you should always be at one with his will. Great points. Commandment number four is do not take revenge. Turn the other cheek. This is a very famous one. Matthew 5, 38 to 42. Jesus says, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. So Andy, question, why would you not take revenge? Why would you allow yourself to be abused in this way? Jordan, you know, it reminds me of Jesus's point on the Sermon on the Mount where he said, you remember of days of old when it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? That was the, the old way of doing things amongst the Israelites. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be different. You've got to follow my example. And that's what we need to do, right? Jesus was, took the utmost abuse right. to show love, to show forgiveness, to show mercy, to show that nothing will get his quote-unquote goat, right? And that's the enemy's way of attacking us. It could even be family members or friends that at that moment, psychologically, somehow, some way, are infiltrated by the enemy to attack us. And that might hurt our ego, or that might you know, cause us to, to lose our temper, which if we engage in that, now we're risking dropping ourselves spiritually as a witness to others. Think about it. If, if people around us, family members, friends, see that you know, we're, we're astute in our, what our beliefs are, if we're stoic in how people treat us and just stay the path, it, it shows that Christianity to us and the reward of what's to come is more important than our own, you know, personal vendettas. Yeah, it's great that you mentioned Jesus' example because, you know, there's that, whole, there's that whole sense on the cross, that philosophy of, why don't you just call down the angels from heaven to, to save you? And yeah, he could have point. done that, but he didn't do that because he sacrificed for what he knew was a greater reward. Yeah, and I mean, in Romans twelve nineteen, Jesus says, well, through Paul, he says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. Commandment number five is along similar lines. Do not hate your enemies, love your enemies. Now we're going one step even further and pray for them. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. If you greet only your brothers, Jesus says, what more are you doing than other people? Do not even Gentiles, and we can read that as unbelievers, do the same thing? Yeah, good point. But it goes deeper. Yeah, he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward, keyword, do you have? This is the epinosis level, right? Reward in the Greek has the sense of credit or wages due. In other words, love your enemies and pray for them if you want to have credit with God, which is kingdom credit. Well, you know, Jordan, how can this be? Like, how can we do this? And I think Jesus tells us that there's a mental trick. In other right. words, how to think about this. And you could find that out in Matthew 5.45, and it reads, Be sons of your father who was in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God's got it under control. God's sovereign. He sees everything. There's not even a thought that can cross our mind, or anyone else for that matter, that God's not keeping track of. So, you know, that old adage, you reap what you sow, I think comes into play here. And that's why we shouldn't hate our enemies, you know, because If anything, we should have pity on them because of what the possible judgment God has for them. Good point. Okay, the next three are very similar, Andy. Can you summarize six, seven, and eight? Sure. Uh, Number six would be, do not take personal glory for charity. Give secretly. That's Matthew 6, 2 to 4. And then seven would be, do not take personal glory for prayer. Pray privately. And that's Matthew 6, 5 through 6. 
And then commandment eight would be, do not take personal glory for fasting, fast secretly. And that's Matthew 6, 16 to 18. Yeah, these three commandments are related. The theme is, you know, your self-glorification, corrupting things that are supposed to be for God's glory. And of course, there was a lot of that going on in the time of Jesus, which is why he brought it up. You know, pride is one of the seven deadly sins. Um, that word deadly, of course, implies loss of salvation to some people. But as we know, we can't lose our salvation. So what's the real penalty for pride or for violating these commandments? Well, if you look at it, we see this curious phrase repeated in verse 5. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And then in verse 16, same thing. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So what is that about, Andy? Well, again, Jordan, you know, this is about rewards and the kingdom once again. You know, you can take your little slap on the back now and then, and, or you can get eternal rewards. That's your choice. That's right. what Jesus is trying to portray to us. So it's one or the other. You have to make that choice, right? So I think the motive behind is that it's key. The motive behind what you're doing, whether it's fasting or giving or praying, if the motive is because you want to truly be a vessel for God, for God's glory, God sees that. And I think that will come across as humble and pure-hearted. But also, you know, you can tell when somebody's doing out of, you know, whatever the reason might be, self-gratification, or as Jesus probably put it best, I think more than anybody else, they have their reward in full. Yeah, I think this is one of the things in my life that's affected me the most because we, we all slip into these moments of pride or even accepting glory that we shouldn't be accepting. And whenever it happens, I, I tend to think about this verse. So if someone's saying to me, hey, you know, that was great that you helped that person out or whatever, I immediately like warning bells go off in my head mm. because this sticks with me. Exactly. And, and I say to myself, and maybe this sounds selfish, but I don't want to get my reward now from this person who's giving me glory. I want to I save that. I want to have that count for something later. I don't want to hear on Judgment Day, yeah, well, you already got the uh, Man right. of the Year award, so doesn't count here. Exactly. I mean, if you look at it, though, the truth is the truth. It's the Holy Spirit. It's only by the Holy Spirit that's sealed within a believer that we could even perform these things with love, right? Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think if we all know that the motivation behind it, if it's driven by love and if it's driven for love for God, God knows. And, that, and that's the key to remember. Because look, there's going to be times where we're successful and you know, you might get a, a trophy for, you know, winning a golf tournament or, right. you know, kids might get achievements like high school diplomas. And that's something beautiful. You celebrate that. But when it comes to serving the Lord, we have to be humble and know that it's, it's really God driving us to do these things for his glory. Good points. Uh, commandment number nine is do not desire material things, desire to serve God instead. And that's Matthew six nineteen to 24. This is the uh, couple famous verses here. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves can't break in and steal. For where, your tre for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then also, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And again, mammon is that um, personification of wealth, wealth made into a god. I remember um, a few episodes ago we were talking about this, and I told the story of um, seeing this elephant head idol called Ganesha, which is the Hindu god of money. So now, of course, I, whenever I think about Mammon, I think about that elephant head god, you know, because they, they literally pray to him for, for money. Yeah, I think our listeners probably think of it now, too. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we, um, while we may not literally worship a money god like some Hindus do, we must be careful not to do so passively and inadvertently, I guess, you know, because again, remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, not to 
run-of-the-mill Christians. These are his followers that he personally chose, telling them, be careful that money doesn't become inadvertently a god for you. Absolutely. Okay, so now moving to number 10. Do not worry about material things. Have faith that God will provide. That's a big one. That's Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And I'll quote some scripture here. Do not worry. What will we eat or what will we drink or what we will wear for clothing? Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. So to paraphrase here, you know, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself, Jordan. And also seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. You know, this is the cure for anxiety, I would say, right here in God's word. Good point. Yeah, I mean, Christians are commanded not to worry, right? Not to have anxiety. And if we have true faith in God, if we're spiritually mature and have truly received the epinosis, the state of worry, it's going to be impossible because we'll be seeking his kingdom, which makes earthly concerns, you know, pale in comparison. Exactly. Okay, so quickly moving to 11. Do not judge people. Focus on your own shortcomings. That's Matthew 7, 1 to 5. And the verses go, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, you know, that should be terrifying to anyone who truly believes that they will stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema seat. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, You know, if I'm the type of person that's going to judge somebody for tattoos or for long hair, you know, and automatically put them in the category in the back of my mind that, oh, you know, be careful from this guy. He's probably a a lost guy. You know, he's dangerous to my family. That's not necessarily true. I mean, this, this guy could be just coming out of church. He could be saved. He could be a, a deacon or, or, you know, serve in, in some capacity. So I think that one's pretty simple. At the end of the day, we just need to remember what Jesus says. If we're going to judge people based on looks or based on certain things they do or say, then we're going to fall into that same judgment category. Right. And then that dovetails nicely with our final commandment, commandment 12, which is do not mistreat people. Treat them the way that you want them to treat you. And that's Matthew seven twelve. That you know, that's the golden rule. Uh, I think everybody knows it. Uh, saved and unsaved alike. You know, which which literally uh, the, the actual scripture is: treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. And this little interesting side note: there is also a, a silver rule that's also uh, a, a variation of that, which comes from the Talmud, which says that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That's the whole Torah. The rest is the explanation. So I think it goes back to what you just said about the 11th commandment, Andy. In the same way you treat others, so shall you be treated by the ultimate judge of all. So again, that, that, as you said, that should be terrifying to us because I, I know that I'm, I'm judgmental and I, I sometimes stereotype perhaps, or I treat people incorrectly. I don't know the whole story, but I put them into a category. And we should all, all of us who have epinosis should be afraid of that because we certainly would not want to be treated that way by the ultimate judge on Judgment Day. No, that, those are awesome points, Jordan. And uh, I'm so glad we did this study. But, you know, on that specific point, I will say, if you think about it, if there's someone that we look at and judge and we put them in the category in our heart, if anything more than ever, we should see them as a target as someone that needs the Lord Jesus. So use that not to separate, Right, because I think everyone automatically has a, a like a judge button in our right. heart that kind of goes off sometimes or an alarm. But we need to look at it as like, you know what? Well, maybe this person needs Jesus, and if anything, we should be attracted to kind of bring them in through love. This was a great study, and by the way, we've created a printable version of these twelve commandments that you can keep handy to remind yourself how you should be living if you want to do well on Judgment Day and earn the reward in the coming kingdom. Yes, go to MOTK.org, give us your email address by clicking subscribe, and we'll send it to you along with some other great free content. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. 
Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.